Hi everyone, we are season six, episode two of the podcast and I have Matt Ryan back with me for the first time this season. Hi Matt. Hi Catherine, it's lovely to be back. It has to be said, I've, I've, I've missed our, uh, our podcasts uh, over the summer, so it's, uh, it's great to be back. How are you keeping? I'm very, very well, thank you. And I have to say, it's, it's been good to have our usual natter beforehand as well. We always have a good natter, listeners, just beforehand, and then suddenly look at each other and go, oh, we really should start recording the actual podcast now. Uh, how have you been, Matt? Yes, yes, very good, thank you. Been, been away uh, a couple of times. Um, I think the last trip they had was down to Budapest, nice. um, which was lovely. Just a, a long weekend, kind of city break, but that, that was lovely. And um, back and kind of raring to go in, in September when things start to pick up for everybody. Fantastic. Sounds sounds good. So today, everybody, we are going to be talking about organ donation and what it can mean if you are looking for protection insurance. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So back into the usual swing of things, I am going to give us a little bit of a background about organ donation and then Matt is obviously going to give us the really intense side of things from an underwriter, help explain it all to us as to what we need to know as advisors. And for anybody listening who has had an organ transplant or has been a donor, giving you some ideas as to what you might see if you are going to be applying for some potentially some insurances. So an organ donation tends to happen um, usually when an organ is not working to the best of its ability. We do tend to think of organ donations as quite significant organs um, that happen after somebody has died, um, especially in the UK. Everybody is signed up to be um, on the uh, organ donor list and people can opt out of it. But we are now in the sense of it is more of a you have to opt out rather than opt in. So we often think of people, I'd say, who have passed away. Um, maybe something like uh, the kidneys, the liver, lots of different things, the heart as well. Uh, but we also can have organs that are donated from people who are living, such as kidneys. Um, you can, as an interesting thing as well, if you're thinking about donations or anything like that, um, when you go for your, and I did this when I went for my, um, oh, when I could donate blood, I'm not allowed to anymore, unfortunately, but when I could donate blood, um, at the same time, I registered to be a stem cell donor. And that's just an extra little, um, I think, vial of, um, I think, blood that they take when you are there. And then they find out your stem cell matches and everything. And that can be incredibly beneficial to somebody that is living with cancer. And just to give an idea as well, there are currently about uh, 6,600 people on a transplant waiting list in the UK. And there aren't, you know, massively up to date statistics on some of it. But one of the most recent ones I found was that in April of 2022, there was just over 1,550 transplants in that month in the UK. So, Matt, as an underwriter, somebody is coming to you and an advisor is coming to you and they are saying that somebody has had an organ donation what are kind of the first things that are popping to mind okay i think um maybe if i could can i, can I take as i do sometimes i'm known to do this take a step back would that be all always right? happy for you to take a step back well, always rather than, uh, <coughs> excuse me um rather than uh, maybe answer, answer your question directly um one of the things that um, we, we're looking at here um, and, and we're providing the background to um, an organ donor stroke or an organ recipient for that matter, um, is, is just picking up here that really, it, and it's great that all the improvements in medicine, particularly around the immunosuppressants for um, 
combating rejection over the last 20 years have actually made organ transplants the uh, the treatment of choice. I really just wanted to pick up that uh, specifically when somebody is being considered for an organ transplant. And if you sell critical illness, um, you'll know that there is a ma major organ transplant is actually specifically covered under that particular uh, under that particular plan protection plan. But people who really have untreatable uh, people who are considered for major organ transplant or organ transplants, I should say, are people who are who are un have untreatable end stage disease. Um, so that that is pretty severe. So uh, using um, uh, the example of the most common uh, donor donee uh, organ situation in the UK and in the USA for that matter, which is kidneys. Um, you'll find quite often that people are, um, are at end-stage kidney failure or, to use a little bit more of a technical term, end-stage renal failure. Um, they're often receiving dialysis. So you are in a... Uh, you, you, the organ that they're looking to transplant, generally, you have to be in a pretty bad way in order to... Um, to, to get on and to use the CI definition as I understand it anyway, you do have to be on the official uh, waiting list, UK waiting list. Catherine, is that, is that, is that part of the definition still um, in the marketplace? I'll be honest to say that off the top of my head, I'm not completely sure. Um, I just, I just, so... <laughs> no, 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 sorry. I was, I was like, no, it's, it's fine. It's, it's good um, to show that I don't know absolutely everything off the top of my head. But, you know, well, nor do I. <laughs> nor, nor do I. I was looking at the ABI um, uh, definitions um, yes. recommended by them, and it seemed to be on there, but it might be a little bit out of date. I do, having been involved in so much development of critical illness over the years, mm. I think there was some talk about making that not necessarily take, taking it out, but broadening the UK I, list. But I could, I could well be wrong. Hence no, my I could be wrong as well, but I, my instinct is that it does. There does need to be an official aspect to to the. Need no, to no, I, I would agree. It has to be. Yeah. I completely agree because that's too much of a safeguard. If you took official, whatever that's supposed to mean, of course, out of it, I think that safeguard would be taken away, and you get all yeah. types of. Uh, uh, organ trafficking going on, etc., etc. So, so as I was trying to, well, as I was saying, what we have here is that people are put on um, transplant lists who are uh, who are, can be very gravely ill, yes. and of course, um, Catherine, I don't know if you have any statistics, but um, there are a lot of people dying uh, on waiting lists in the UK because they can't get a transplant. Um, I think I'm trying to look in my notes here. I mean, I don't have statistics, but I think probably giving some people some examples. So, you know, as an example, you know, very clearly, you know, um, people who need a heart transplant you know, or potentially need a lung transplant. I believe that there are certain conditions that would be cystic fibrosis where potentially yeah. people would be looking for lung transplants. And Absolutely. we are talking and again with a heart transplant. When something's happening with the heart, that there's so many interventions that can be done with the heart in terms of medications, in terms of surgeries and things like that, that if we are at a point where there's a transplant, then it does mean that, because it's not a small undertaking having an organ transplant. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty hefty thing on the body. 
And it is really a last resort type thing. I, I think a lot of information that we generally tend to hear about is things like kidney transplants. And we would usually see that people would be more in end stage kidney failure, I believe. If yeah. They were going to be getting something. Like that. So that, yeah. then there's, there's quite a few stages of the kidney not being well before we would get to that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I've just um, seen my note now. It's um, I think you've already mentioned that uh, the, the waiting lists in the UK. Did you, you mention a number, I believe? Yes. Um, yeah. Certainly kidney is the highest secondary to, uh, sorry, uh, ahead of liver. And waiting list by age is, is, is pretty much dominated by the 50 to 65-year-old category age. Right, yeah. And it's flanked by the kind of the 10-year the, the periods. So 40, 35 to 50 and 65 and above. Transplants in the younger ages, particularly the very young, is quite rare in terms of being put on a waiting list, of course. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying here. Um, but the um, am I going on too much, Catherine? Or no, you, no, are you, um, is that my, Can I continue? Yeah, no, um, I think it's really interesting because obviously, I say, you know, when I originally looked, and I think it's interesting to say that the way that we can look at statistics can you never really know exactly what you're looking at say I went on to sort of some really official sites and there were so many numbers flying about everywhere and it was very confusing and some of them are saying well this is just for this month or this is for this year and there was things you know moving around and and obviously as well we have all the knock-on effect of um delays due to covid Um, so I think that would have affected things quite a bit because unfortunately quite a lot of people will have passed while they were needing it and then a lot of people are now the waiting list is probably building up even more because you know we don't have the, the, well, there are these all these backlogs, but say that there's over a hundred thousand people waiting. That's really hits home that th- there's a lot of people who need this. And yeah. if there's a hundred thousand waiting, there's obviously been quite a few that will have probably had this as well. Um, and it's important that we need to be aware of it. Yeah, I mean, forty thousand transplants performed in two thousand and twenty-one. Yeah, that's, a, that's is it a lot of people? Obviously, not as many as we would want. Let me put it that way. But it's it's, yes. a, it's a lot of people, and therefore, it's and because of the advances in medicine, which again is something that is absolutely fantastic, um, uh, fantastic advance. Then more, we're going to see more and more people who've had transplants, and who by definition require life cover. Yeah. Sorry, let me say protection cover, not just life cover, protection yes. cover. Um, <clears throat> in terms of uh, just kind of carrying on, if I may. Yeah. The um, sadly, the, the the least productive is not the right word. The the but um, liver transplants um, are still really in their infancy in terms of uh, absolute success. Where a liver transplant would generally, and please take statistically in general and average mm. and exact, we have to be very careful with these words. Yes. But it only adds. I say only. It's probably very, very important to people, but it adds 1.5 years on average to oh, wow. the donor, sorry, the donee, sorry, the person receiving the, the liver transplant. Which says quite course, a lot, doesn't it, for if from an advice point of view, if somebody's coming to us and wanting support and wanting to get cover and they've had a liver transplant, because someone who is needing that, we know straight away would need to go down incredibly specialist routes. Yes. Someone who's had the donation, um, and is recovering that really stands out that 1.5 years extra in a, as a statistical average as to why we might find insurers are, are quite cautious about offering the cover 
Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, we're talking about people who've had um, uh, received uh, um, a lobe of liver, as it's often the way, rather than a whole liver. Um, people who are actually the one thing I didn't look at was actually people, whether this is always a cadaver. I can only assume it's only a cadaver or, a, or somebody who's, I'm afraid, sadly died. Yes. And this transplant would actually happen. I can only assume that. Um, although, of course, people can have sections of liver removed and live quite happily. Yes. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll see that with, with the, the more fortunate cancer patients, for instance, who have had spread into their liver, that, that part of the liver is cut out and, and they still live a very good, wholesome life. The liver is an absolutely fantastic organ, without any shadow of a doubt. Um, the most difficult procedures are, um, are the lungs. Okay. If we're looking at statistics, oh. and really, and really, there, that's that's because, um, again, it's no surprise that the the uh, individual who is being operated on to give up their lungs uh, would have passed away, mm-hmm. and um, they tend to be elderly. They tend to be again this dreaded average figure. Um, tend to be elderly. And one of the key reasons because uh, that, that make this thing most difficult is that a lot of the elderly, older, older rather than elderly, people have had lung infections themselves. Yes. So you have to be careful there. Um, also, um, I think they're pretty damn difficult to remove from the body. So actually damage, damage during the process of removal. Yeah. Um, is, I, I turn this in, in a couched way, more difficult than the others, for instance, yeah. I would say. It, here. I kind of feel like the lungs would be, have a lot more things kind of uh, subtly attached to it, whereas uh, the other ones I kind yeah. of feel are just kind of floating and doing the thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I could, I could uh, not that I particularly want to see uh, lungs being removed uh, no. on the television, but um, I can absolutely picture that. There'll be a TikTok tomorrow. somewhere, Matt. There'll be a TikTok <laughs> somewhere that there'll be some kind of this is all things now. Excuse me, Cotton. Sorry, I was just thinking if we can maybe, sorry, if we focus on the maybe like a kidney side of things, if that's all right. Yes, I think yes. a lot of us. As advisor, well, I know from my experience as an advisor, generally it tends to be more the kidney side that we hear about and people yes, are coming Yes, it's the most common. Yeah. yeah. And I was just wondering if you could sort of explain what would be going on. So like, what would we be needing to know to be able to get a good indication from you as to what um, terms might be available? Okay. I mean, the, 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 the broad categories that um, underwriters look at, first of all, at, at, at high level, and then kind of they delve into the detail, if you want, is um, whether the donee um, was alive, yeah. whether the, um, the donee was a close relative. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, when I was but a young man, which is a long time ago, um, there was a, a quite a, um, a focus on uh, identical twin transplants. Okay. Um, because the, the rejection side is much less with identical twins because of the genetic makeup. Okay. Of them, and um, with with rejection, what effectively happens is that the the, the body of the person receiving the transplant um the the antigens 
uh, within the body. Um, if if a, a new transplant or a new organ is actually put into the body, then sometimes um, it'll try and attack it because they think yeah. it's um, um, alien, if yes. you want. So the closer the genetic match between the individuals, um, the the less chance of that happening. Okay. And that's kind of at a very high level what happens with with um, what can happen with rejection. Yes. So the closer the genetic match, the the better outcome is is shown. Hence why that's important to an underwriter. And yeah. in yeah. that in background terms. I was going to say um, another thing just to, to quickly just go back so I can just explain a term that advisors might hear as well from an underwriter um, sure. is if it's somebody you saying if, if the donor had been alive or not. So you you often get asked, was it a living donor or a cadaver? Yeah. Um, I always think cadaver sounds quite yeah. impersonal in a sense, um, but I, I think that's it's just a, a term that is generally used. It's, um, it's a medical so, term, really. It is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very widely used in medicine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and and yes, the underwriters will need to know that it's one of the key things that for myself I would be asking somebody is is whether or not that had been the case because you say there's a genetic match, um, and it's probably more likely to be a genetic match is going to it's obviously going to hopefully be accepted better by the body and most more likely if it has been um, a living donor because the the chances of somebody passing at the same time who's a family relative who's a genetic match for somebody who just so happens to be on the waiting list is probably quite quite rare indeed yeah i mean you know as i say you, you do see quite a few cases in the in the news and in the media around um brothers and sisters and parents mm. donating kidneys don't you Absolutely. so um so, and you so, end up with three then don't you i believe they don't take one out do they usually um so, uh, you, i think it rather depends but yes you can it's, it's, I don't think it's always, but yes, that, that certainly can happen. Okay. Um, I think, oh yeah, I could get all technical, but I won't there. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll leave, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, full of cold. Um, keep on okay. coughing. I do apologise to everybody. Um, okay, so as I say, very, very high level, um, you have got the, the living donor, um, whether it's uh, a member of Joe Public, if I can use that expression, and uh, excuse me if I upset anybody by saying that, um, that's the kind of category A, category or a, category one. Category two would be a living close relative, yeah. and then three then would be the dreaded the, the to use that horrible term cadaver. Yes. Donor. Um, okay. Now. In terms of success, I think we've probably just alluded to there. In terms of um, positive outcomes, then, yeah, the, the, the close relative is best. Um, more often or not, the um, living relative, sorry, the living person, donor, but not, not genetically matched in any way, is second. And then um, the, the, the cadaver is generally third. That said, that the cadaver thing, so the cadaver event has, has been improving rapidly by medicine being able to um, keep the organ from that dead person transfused with blood and warm and functioning and not deteriorating in any way while it's uh, awaiting transplant. So again, that's part of this overall positive message that um, is going on in medicine as regard to the success of organ transplants. In, can, can we just um I, I know i talk a lot catherine and, and uh, you yeah. know that as well as i do but um 
I would just like to add here that we've focused, I think, a lot on the person receiving an organ yes. transplant. Just to let everybody know, and I hope, Catherine, I hope this um, um, matches your experience in the marketplace, yeah. but uh, if somebody has donated a kidney yeah. and um, has succeeded to have absolutely no problems for a period of time which I believe is very short um, as in months mm. um, for life insurance they would be completely standard rates yes that's and what I think we're that, saying that, yes that's uh, I think that's quite important just to just to note so if you've given up a kidney and you've got over the the kind of the post-operative uh, period um, which happens with every surgery, I might add, not just kidney. Um, then you will get standard rates. I think one of the one of the key issues there is that somebody actually giving up a kidney is has to be in pretty good health in the first place. Yeah, so no, absolutely. It, it has to. It, but that kind of follows, really. I'll Did you say um, as well in terms of sort of the the people who are sorry what you were saying about surgery then as well. I think that can sometimes be quite a misconception for a lot of people. If you are you know if someone is due to have surgery it's very unlikely that an insurer is going to be offering cover until that surgery has happened and until um, they are recovered from it you know it's it it's more sort of like on the side of assuming that obviously we always have to double check always double check you know never assume but probably in the back of your mind as an advisor think right the surgery coming the likelihood of me getting this on the standard market is probably not really going to happen I still have to double check though and do everything right by the clients but it might be that we're needing to look at more specialist routes yeah it's it's it's, it's a really interesting and I, I, I genuinely believe that um that is exactly what would happen if you went if you were going to have a donating a, a kidney in the next month or so you would be postponed until a period a short period after the operation but I was I was looking at um death rates uh, as, as I do as an underwriter, a lovely job. And um, seeing the, the death rate for kidney donation is, is one in every 3,000. Oh, right. So that's fractional if you convert that back into um, a loading, mm. a cash loading, either per mil uh, or, or a percentage extra mortality, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later. Mm. Um it's quite so if, if mortality rates are seven another statistic seven die for every 100,000 living donor surgeries right it's tiny yeah and yet no doubt the insurers would still do exactly what you said um I think they're they, they well I, I, I can kind of understand maybe or, or have a degree of understanding of why they wouldn't but uh, then we, again that's not for today necessarily but the, the statistics of people dying who are giving up um, a kidney are tiny yes. absolutely tiny that's the kind of thing I wanted to say in fact I think there's another brilliant statistic um, from America which kind of hits home here you're 80 it's 80 times 80 zero times more risky to be born in the in the USA than to donate a kidney. I mean, that is quite scary, isn't it? Isn't that amazing statistic? It's amazing. It's, statistic, it's statistic. amazing for us. It's scary for people in America. I mean, <laughs> like, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Um, no, but I, yeah. I, it is. It's just how could that even? It's just unfathomable. That. In, in, what do you mean in the context of uh, mort infant mortality rate? I presume you're talking about that. 
Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's a statistic I found, and again, I mean, statistics, 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 but that one kind of made me think, right, I'm going to have to mention that because uh, the last thing we ever want to do with life insurance is stop somebody actually donating a kidney because they're worried about um, dying or, or any other issue. And that's got kind of really a while. I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes on, on this, uh, on some of the statistics that come out of that particular area. Absolutely. So I think if we sort of go, because we've been talking about the surgery and stuff like that. So just a, a quick rundown from an advice point of view, from an advice point of view. If I was speaking to somebody that came to me and they told me that they'd had something like a kidney donation, then I would be saying to them quite a lot of the time, my, my usual thing is when and why, you know, we're going to need to know when that donation happened, but also the why, what was causing it. It's very likely that there was some, you know, end stage kidney failure, um, but we need to know and establish that as as well. And an important thing sometimes to be aware of, and I have said this before, is that if somebody has had private medical insurance, they might get some things. I think I think transplants are included in this, Matt, unless tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but I think they sometimes can get treatment sooner than people on the NHS, which can mean that people who've had treatment through the NHS might have been in much worse health than somebody who's been treated privately. Um we would be looking for whether or not the donation was from a living relative or a cadaver. We'd be looking for the signs of rejection. I know you mentioned that before, Matt. Any kind of ongoing medications. And then also things that are known as the GFR reading, which is the uh, is Gulf, Foxtrot, Romeo reading, and the creatinine levels. So I don't know if you could just maybe have a quick chat about those GFR and creatinine levels for me, Matt, please. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, both of these um related to the kidney the function of the kidney no, no real no real surprises there in terms of the GFR so that's the glomerular filtration rate and glomeruli are these tiny little um, vessels if I'm calling that in the uh, within the kidney that actually filter all the waste products um, um, from the blood and then back into uh, <coughs> me, um, urine in particular. Mm-hmm. Now, GFRs, is, it, renal, in other words, kidney specialists certainly think that the, the GFR glomerular filtration rate is the best indicator of kidney function. Now, I've heard that disputed by eminent um nephrologists um and but however that that is the standard that's what the textbook says is my understanding now glomerular filtration rate as i say it's it's the rate at which the kidneys um uh pass uh toxins from the body so you can well imagine that if the reading is low then the uh, kidneys, the doctors will look at, at the kidneys and think maybe we need to investigate this further, but it could well be a sign the kidneys are not functioning as they should. Yeah. Um, you would generally look at uh, a reading of below 60, which may mean kidney disease, but note the may here, please. And below 15 may mean kidney failure. A very high level. I say very high, a high level, um, because the actual reading is dependent on age here um, and a number of other things, in, in, including uh, height, weight and gender, ethnicity even. Um, doesn't It's generally OK. OK, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean if it's pretty high, a doctor will look at it. 
interesting, Matt. Sorry, I was just going to jump in there. We actually yeah, sure. reminded me that we had um, somebody once that we were supporting to get insurance and they'd had to have a medical just because the amount of insurance it was. And I'm sure it was the kidney that the readings came back outside, slightly, slightly outside of what was considered the norm in the okay, UK. Okay, up or down? Um, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I just remember it was the silent, but um, what we established and th this random series of events as to how we established how we, we learned about this but this person because obviously we, we don't generally see people in person um but we we were able to establish that this person uh was from uh, african heritage yeah and it meant and what that can mean is that for people in the black community their kidney readings can be slightly different to what yeah. we class as I don't want to say normal in the UK because I don't want it to ever be took in the wrong context. We're saying that what I'm saying is that predominantly white background normal Caucasian. or what's seen yeah. is Caucasian. What is seen yeah. is as what has been seen as standard in the UK has been predominantly from a white background. And so those figures have been set upon generally what the, the Caucasian community would show in terms of kidney function. And what we were able to do at that point um, when we did find out and we, we did obviously talk about it and, and the fact that this person um, was of African heritage, um, we were then able to challenge and actually bring forward from our own research how people from the black community do have a standard generally slightly different readings to the kidney function than what um, Caucasian people do and, and we were able to get certain decisions overturned in a positive way in terms of the underwriting because we were able to bring that so it's always important as well to sort of I, I wouldn't sort of advocate if you've got somebody you know straight away to, who's getting maybe terms that you don't like to to be on the phone to them and just say can I just check your ethnicity please and things like that you could start going into a a bit of a background mm -hmm. that could be a little yeah. bit um in, intense and not necessarily going down the positive way but it's important to be aware of quirks like that as well now absolutely I think this is one of the um areas um where it's important for the underwriter, but also it, 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 the, the people like your good selves and your team who gather information uh, up front is a reading is fine. Sorry, a, a number is fine. But I, from memory, um, a when somebody, when you have a laboratory test uh, sheet, and there was all the results on it, okay, the GFR, if it's been done, will actually caveat it by saying this is this you know uh, ethnicity could well be throwing could could throw this out so it needs to be taken into account oh that's good that they did that so so it would, it would have said that on the report and we just had to do lots of extra the, research and, and the actual, the well no 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 that's all right i mean it's just one of those things about taking a number and thinking yeah. which exactly is what you're talking about i believe you know mm. well it is because you looked at the, the ethnicity and of course it was absolutely the right thing to do yeah um, there's no two ways about it. Um, lots of things can, I mean, I'd also say here that GFR, the glomerular filtration rate, is tested in a 24-hour urine sample. So it's, yeah. it's taken over 24 hours, which is important <coughs> because people are going to produce, um, and, and the, the kidneys are going to um, excrete toxins at different levels during the day. Yes. Okay, so 24 hours is, is, is therefore pretty important. Um, but yeah, I, as I say, you've, you've got a variety of reasons why creatinine, um, the GFR rather could be, uh, um, I say abnormal. 
but also just just note as well that um, for instance um, as you as you get older your the rate of, of um, glomerular filtration absolute drops but this is actually normal yes so 2029 a normal rate would be about 116 40 to 49 it's only nine, I say only it's 99. But remember those two figures I gave you early doors, which was 60 and 15. Those are your um, red flags, or an orange flag and a red flag. Yeah. In terms of um, creatinine levels, again, this is very much um, a function or, or shows uh, how the kidneys are functioning, I should say. And um, technically, creatinine is a, is a chemical waste product of something called creatine. And... Uh, creatine is a chemical um, that is, is produced by the body and is used to uh, supply energy mainly to the muscles. Mm. And as I said, it's it's the, the creatinine levels. It will show uh, or give you an indication of how those kidneys are functioning. I've I've you know the the, the classic here. I would say that in, in um, given I've been around for a few years to say the least. Um, I've often seen high creatinine levels. Um, in people, high-performance athletes. Yes. Because creatinine, noting what I just said before, was used to supply energy mainly to the muscles. So high-performance athletes could have, at certain times of the day, a a higher level of creatinine than the man or woman in the street. So again, it's, you know, these things need to be taken into account, certainly be taken into account by the doctors, the medics, um, and also should just be thought of by the uh, by the underwriters as well. Your absolute classic on creatinine is your bodybuilder. Yes. Um, they, are, they are using muscle so much um, that, in fact, their kidneys can be impacted. So isn't there some kind of... Because Alan's... Obviously, Alan's not a bodybuilder, um, but Alan's really much into his exercise and he yeah. takes different things. I think there's some kind of you can actually take creatinine. Some is it? Yes. You can take you can supplements do. of it, can't you? You can, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a body, it's certainly a bodybuilding supplement. Yeah. And I'm, you know, um, and I'm sure, um, you know, p- people who are, um, uh, you know, doing a lot of exercise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, can take creatinine as well. So again, it, if you're going to take creatinine, what a surprise! Your creatinine levels are probably going to be high. Yeah. So therefore, that needs to be taken into account when you're. Um, uh, looking at this from an underwriting perspective and, and more importantly from a from a, a medical perspective the doctor how are you going to treat this person is it is it an orange flag or is it something really that's down to their um lifestyle mm. the positive lifestyle in this particular case so d- does that give you a heads up on creatinine and glomero glomerular yeah filtration rates is that okay yeah no i think that's really useful thank you so and so sorry we've done all that we've got our research and we've spoken to obviously an underwriter and we're wondering what's going to be available so i think the next stage is so i know we said that probably people would need to be maybe recovered from the surgery for them if they've received a donation um so i was wondering kind of how long would you say on average i know this will change per organ but what kind of like postponed period should people be generally thinking about what kind of terms are we going to be expecting um after after sort of like the postponed period is over yeah okay if i if i can go back to kidneys if i may um as as i think we're 98 percent transplants in the UK kidney um then again you you, you kind of go the, the underwriting terms 
um, are split between close relative living, um, member of, of the public living and cadaver. So, so you know, the differentiate between those three. <coughs> Excuse me again. In terms of close relative, the postponement period, um, at least from one of the major uh, manuals out there in the UK, is, is three years. Right. Okay, as close relative. Um, cadaver um, is postponed five years. Okay. So that's quite harsh in terms of... Um, what terms are uh, out there in the market when you compare it with other medical disorders. If you think that some of the worst cancers are postponed five years, then yes. you can kind of see how serious, how serious this, uh, this organ transplantation is. I think it's key as well for us to just quickly pop oh, sorry. That that it, No, no, um, I was going to say the, uh, that that's the standard personal market. So yes. there are specialist routes sometimes, yes. and I will talk about a, a case where I was trying to help somebody down a specialist route and what we were potentially seeing um, and at later on. Um, but the specialist routes, and there's also, it's very different if people are um, covered by the insurances that are offered through their employer. It can be a very different situation at that point. Um, so for anybody who is listening, you know, don't, please don't assume that it's an absolute no, there are usually options for most people. It just means that there need to be some very specific choices, at least in those first three years. Yes, years. indeed. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, the kind of the, the, the next step down, if you like, in terms of mm. the um, the detail of the underwriting loading, I'll just take one um, because it does vary um, between. The three categories that we mentioned. Um, so, if you're a living living donor, sorry, if you were yes, donee, donee. If I got this right, the person who's receiving the transplant. Let me get. Let me. Let me just speak donee. English. And change. Um, they, they are the no. donee. I know it's. Donee, donor. Anyway, sorry about that, guys. Um, under the under the age of forty under the age of forty five at the time of the uh, transplant, you would attract a loading of seven pounds per mil. Just to remind people who maybe not listened to some of the uh, previous podcasts, that is seven pounds per one thousand pounds worth of sum assured per annum. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think Catherine, good... did you want to yeah, add I'll... anything more to that? I'll just add sort of like a little bit of an explanation um, to that. That's okay. So the re what we're saying with that is that, so it's seven pounds. So what's what you might also hear that as cash extra yes, um, yeah. per 1,000 pounds that's taking out. So what that would mean is for say someone who's taking out 100,000 pounds worth of cover, they would have this 100 extra seven pounds added on and it's all done technically in the background. Um, so that would be what someone would have. But say if someone were to take, Two hundred thousand pounds worth of life insurance, they would have two hundred of those extra seven pounds. So, in a lot of instances, that can mean that it becomes a pricier option than some of the other ways that insurers might change the premiums depending upon someone's health or occupation or different aspects. So, what you would always ideally want, if you were going to have this per mill or cash extra, was to find somewhere that has the lowest number possible. 
And what you might also find sometimes as well, and it's this comes down to quite a bit of times to advise the knowledge and what we can maybe do and debate sometimes with what's on offer with the insurers is that it might be that somebody, as you say, Matt, might have seven per mil, um, but it might be for a certain period of time. So they might say it's going to be seven per mil for the first three years of the policy. After that, the policy premiums will reduce to this amount. And they'll take off that, but that increases. So, sorry, Matt, I just thought I'd come in with the next little bit of numbers no, no, there to no. hopefully help. You're, I mean, you're <laughs> far more used to explaining um, seven, seven cash extras, seven per mils, and what they actually mean. Don't than I do am. the calculations, though. It's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't want to do those. <laughs> Funnily enough, I'm probably more used to that, but have yeah. we said that? <laughs> I was going to say, I'm very happy to explain that. it, not doing no, no, it. No, <laughs> absolutely. What I would say there is a bit of a surprise, particularly for, for the advisors out there is that um, I believe I have seen this change a little bit, but just be aware that that figure doesn't include commission. Seven per mil is yeah. assuming that no commission is paid on that part of the premium. If commission is to be paid, that seven per mil is grossed up to take account of the commission. So you can get some quite odd looking figures coming back from insurers. Now, I have seen recently, I'm pretty sure of it, some insurers actually uh, coming back with loaded premiums, cash extras, that actually do take into, uh, into account the commission loading. But just be aware of that, that seven per mil won't necessarily, well, it won't, full stop, unless the, unless the advisor is taking no commission, yeah. won't translate into seven pounds per thousand pound per annum. Yes, it might actually be more, and it's it can be very strange as well because there's as well there's a couple of insurers. So when we when we're talking about these extras, um, they're usually to do with the annual premium. So there's a certain the way that it's figured out is that the increase is done over an annual period and then it's kind of divided by 12 so you then get yeah. the monthly amount there are yeah. however a couple of insurers who will tell you a per mil figure that you think that sounds a lot better than everyone else yeah but then it actually 100%. ends up being on the monthly premium so it can end up being an equivalent just as high as the others so don't don't be caught out if one of them seeming if i always think as well though if one insurer if you if you're speaking to eight insurers and one or two of them are looking amazing yeah. price-wise and terms-wise compared to others. Double check you've definitely understood what they've said. Then yeah. also maybe potentially on what you're doing, whether or not you have de dedicated underwriters or if you're just speaking to uh, gen generally re reaching out and speaking to underwriters and it's more of an unusual situation, uh, maybe just ask your account manager at the um, insurer just to double check that it has actually been looked at and um and the, the risk has been properly assessed before you've been given that indication. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. Um, when, I, when, I, when I was in corporate world, um, that, that issue, um, if you took it as a percentage of cases where cash extras were provided to an advisor, that issue probably caused the most complaints of the, that particular type of rating it's not i have to say insurers i know some insurers are listening you really don't make it easy for advisors i was going to say none of us yeah what well, we do understand it we can calculate it but the fact that they don't all do the exact same way of because even if it is an insurer that does it annually instead of the monthly quite a few of them still do their own way of calculating it anyway so it's it's nigh on impossible well, I, 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 I agree and of course as i just alluded 
excuse me, alluded to it there, Catherine, but it's not only sure will do it one way and another will do it another. Mm-hmm. It is and another will do it a completely different way again. Yeah. It's it's, know, it's it's yeah. it's certainly an area that does, does usually, need to yeah. be sorted out in terms of the comms. We usually turn around and we will at Cure. We usually turn around. We we do have some ways of calculating it to a, a general approximation yeah. for each insurer, but a lot of the time, and and you know, I often find that underwriters are incredibly helpful. If you say to them, "What does that actually mean?" If the base premium is this, they will often give you that information and help you out with it, which is really, really nice. Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, oh, what are we... Sorry, Catherine. No, go, yes, go on. We just, uh, just, just to delve a little bit further down, to kind of like complicate matters even further, um, what we have here. So, we were on the living close relative set of loadings under 45, yes. 7 per mil. This particular underwriter, again, it's a major underwriting manual, suggests... Um, between 45 and 60, a rating of plus 400. Right. So it's changed from per mil to a percentage loading. Yeah. And then 60 over, 60 plus, uh, plus 250. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's, it's um, not necessarily the easiest thing to understand for advisors how the rate, the rating is actually being applied. But... Just, just please be aware that that's all I would really say. And as Catherine has quite rightly said, um, you know, the cheapest often aren't. So it's, it's a matter of trying to get a a, a a commonality in your own calculations about from what insurer is offering what. Yeah, absolutely. Is that okay, Catherine, on that that's- particular point? No, that's absolutely brilliant. I was going to say we're coming sort of towards the end of the podcast. So I've got some cases. But I just wanted to quickly check with you. What are you expecting in terms of differences potentially between what an insurer will offer? Again, if we use kidney transplant as sort of like the key one. So for life insurance, we're going to be expecting that it postponed for a bit and then some per mills. For critical illness cover, are we going to be able to get that? Are we going to be able to get income protection? On somebody who's received a transplant, I don't believe you will. No. On the personal side. On the per- absolutely, you're absolutely right. Purely on the personal protection side, yeah. As you quite quite rightly, I presume you're going to allude to again, mm-hmm. is that there are other avenues that can be looked at. Yes, there are always specialist options, and there are um, group options as well. So, in the specialist options, people tend to get options that could have um, a uh, an exclusion for pre-existing conditions. So even though somebody's maybe had a transplant from a long time ago, they'll still probably have some kind of monitoring, some kind of medication, which means that there would still be exclusions for anything linked to the kidney transplants. Sometimes, obviously, I think it's a bit it's a bit hit and miss as to what people feel about that and it's also could be a bit hit and miss as to how you feel about it as an advisor and it's as with anything it's to each their own in some ways and well obviously to each their own within the realms of what your compliance people will allow you to do um but you get some people who when they're looking at the specialist policies especially at the specialist critical illness contracts they're very happy to just think you know what I'm actually just having this as more of like cancer cover now it's, it's certainly more than cancer cover but that cancer is the thing that people are very scared about so if you can give them an option that covers that, I mean, then turning around and saying you can have the can potentially as long as the cancer isn't linked to the kidney transplant, which I don't think it will do, Matt. But I, that could be a lack of my medical knowledge. Um, so it's, just, it's not unheard of, but um, so it's, it's rare. It's very yeah. rare. 
So it would be a case of saying to them, right, well, you certainly can't claim on major organ transplants, you know, because you've already had that. And, you know, it, it depends on there's an, if there's another one that starts to not be OK, if that's potentially linked to what's going on with the kidney and the medications and that won't pay out. If you develop certain cancers, that might not pay out. It, it gets a little bit tricky, a little bit messy. Ideal world situation, um, we'll be looking more towards the group side of things. But again, they would also come with a certain degree of um, exclusions for pre-existing conditions. Um, ideally, in that kind of an instance, you'd be looking more towards the um, the income protection side in the group space. So for anybody who isn't familiar, group is um, is anything from life, uh, critical illness cover income protection that's arranged by a company for its employees. And it will come with a certain amount of free medical underwriting. So that would mean up to a certain amount of sum assured that person's uh, medical history does not come into play when it comes to them being able to have eligible for the colour or the pricing for the cover either. It's a, it's a little known beauty is group insurance. Um, I also, so I did say I was going to chat about some case studies. So I've got a couple of case studies that span a few different areas. I'll try and be as quick as I can. So the first one um, was um, a wonderful uh, woman that I spoke to. She was in her mid-20s. Now, when she was in her early teens, just starting to very early teens, she needed a heart transplant. Now, this was a very emotional situation for for, for herself and for me when I was speaking to her because on the standard market at the moment there is no possibility of getting her a personal life insurance critical illness cover or income protection and the the feedback that I had from all the underwriters was this is just not going to be able to happen ever now I never say ever, forever because things change um, yep. And that was really, really difficult, but it didn't mean that we couldn't have options. So that beautiful thing I was just mentioning there, the group, she wasn't in a position where she worked for a company where they offered something like that. But it was saying to her, well, at some point, if you ever do change jobs, if you are looking to change jobs, maybe there's a job where there's a, a company that does offer all these brilliant benefits and you might actually get insured. I didn't want to leave her with you know obviously I didn't want to say to her specifically target a company to get on their insurances but I didn't want to leave her this mid-20s woman who has a family who has a mortgage just feeling like she just couldn't ever get the insurance that she needed and she wanted um so it's saying to her you know these are options there are also specialist options as well now to give you an idea of one of the specialist options because I could do uh, a very specialist option for her and it would have been a personal life insurance policy and I can't remember I can't remember the, exactly the sum I showed I think we kind of just to test out the figures I think we're about £100,000 and the way that insurer works is a maximum 10 years and the premium was about £450 per month for her which is just not affordable for people um, it's just not within the realms of what the majority of people would be able to to sort of like tarry, tally in their mind is going, this is actually, yes, I should do that. It almost comes to a stage of, well, how long would you need to save that form in a bank account? I can't obviously go into that realm, but please don't assume that I'm saying that. I certainly did not say that to her. That would be beyond outside of my permissions. But, you know, you do get to a stage sometimes with the pricing where you do think this is getting a bit, this is getting a bit silly and there needs to be some real thoughts taken there. Um, so that's just an example that I wanted to give about as, as an example about the heart transplant side of things. So, so my research that I did uh, 
not too long ago um, was that it just would never be available, um, which I understand, but I also, it's hard. It's really, really hard to, to accept that at the same point when you're speaking to someone that needs something. But I suppose that's, um, that comes down to the difference between sort of that, um, that ability to make rules. Like obviously I'm a compliance person and sometimes I'll make rules and it's just a case of sort of, I'm going to make this rule, but I'm not going to look at the faces of any of my team because they're all going to be very annoyed at me and upset because I've brought in a new rule. And I suppose that can sometimes be kind of the distinction that we can have between underwriters and reinsurers and everybody else converse versus advisors. You know, obviously we're very frontline. We're seeing people, we're talking to them. And generally a lot of underwriters and people who make these decisions, it's, it's, as with anything, it's on statistics. That's how the business works. And it's just, it can be quite difficult. But anyway, um, I'm going to move on to some other options that I can explain as well. And one of them is to do with a kidney transplant. And one of them is a little bit different, just because I thought, why not bring something a little bit different in? So for the first one, we were arranging life insurance. It was for a male and he was in his early 50s and he had a kidney transplant one year before the insurance started. So this is just one year before um and um just when I say the pricing bear in mind for anybody who's listening that it is very very as Matt has said he would be expecting postponed for at least three years so and well five years because this was also from a cadaver um but we're able to to do what we needed to do and get the insurance in place so uh, kidney transplant one year before the insurance started the underlying cause had been nephritis that had been initially diagnosed 15 years prior to our conversations. Now, with this one, this is kind of what I was referring to earlier. This person had a preemptive transplant from a cadaver. There'd been no rejections. We were only a year ahead, but no rejections. And those important things that I would always want to know as an advisor before I do my research, the GFR and creatinine levels were all good. There was the medications following this and preventative uh, medications for blood pressure too. So for this person, um, it was £150,000 over 19 years. The monthly premium was £140 per month. Uh, I want to give an example of income protection now as well. So I had somebody, well, we, we had somebody at Cura. It was a female life in her mid-40s, and she'd had leukemia approximately eight years before the application. She'd had a bone marrow transplant at uh, the same time as well as chemotherapy so I know this isn't like an organ transplant but we are talking a transplant of some sort I think it's a it is classed as a transplant so there we go it we is go. very much so yeah bone marrow yeah fantastic and she'd been fully recovered um for all that time so we, for her, we did £1,500 worth of uh, monthly income benefit. Well, yeah, monthly income benefit. It was after a 13-week deferred period. So that's known as the waiting period before the financial aspect of a claim would be considered by the insurer. And there was a maximum two-year claim period per successful claim on the policy. Now, that came to a premium of £27.30 per month. And there were no exclusions relating to the cancer, which I think was pretty, pretty good. I, I I would say both of those cases are incredibly good. I'm glad you think that, Matt. Well, it's uh, it's showing people what we can do, isn't it? Absolutely. What we can like get out there if we just have if we have the right routes to the insurances, the right insurers in place, lots and lots of different insurers. That's what we have. Lots and lots of different ones. They all have their own different quirks and uniqueness that we can do things with. And it's just trying to always with these podcasts is to help people to understand that there's often options, even if we can't see them necessarily ourselves. So. 
there we are. We're at the end. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Matt, as always, for your insights. My Next. pleasure. As I said, it's, it's, it's lovely to be back. And it's also, it's also great for me um, to hear those two fantastic success stories at the end. Next time, we're going to be back with an early in between episode for the podcast this series with Sue Clarkson. And she's going to be talking to us about some recent insights into small, medium enterprises and employee benefits. Um, if you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And as always, don't forget, if you have listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too. Thanks to our sponsors, the Octo members. And uh, I'm sure this number will change by the time that this goes live. But just so that people know who are listening, um, we have at the moment just within the systems that I have. I know that this is recorded as CPD elsewhere too. But just in the systems that I have, we have reached over 1,200 CPD certificates being issued for the podcast, which is just absolutely phenomenal. I'm very, very happy and I'm very touched that people who are listening to this are finding it useful and are collecting those um, certificates and they are they are official they are structured cpd and it all goes towards your professional learning so thank you very much everybody and thank you matt my pleasure look forward to next time look forward to speaking to you too bye bye